Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome everyone. I hope you're well. I'm your host, Ben Lively, and you're listening to Shaken Awake, episode number 55. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in with us today, wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment. It means everything to me to share the messages that God has laid on my heart to share. And as always, I promise you another great show, but more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord, not just another podcast episode. So a quick ask of you, if you find or found value in these episodes, would you take 20 or 30 seconds after the show just to go submit a quick review or a uh, star rating in your app? This is what the um, potential listeners look for when they decide whether to give the show a listen or not, um, just confirmation. Uh, Would you do that for me if and only if you find value in these episodes? And for those of you that have done so already, I, I sincerely cannot thank you enough. So without further delay, let's get ready to invite God in with us right here, right now, and allow him to speak directly to your hearts and minds. So today's topic is on avoiding your cruise control Christianity. You know, I heard my pastor use this term the other Sunday and and it immediately rung out loudly and it stuck. I immediately uh, just wrote it down and I was determined to look into this further for the name really said it all, at least to me it did. And usually when I get this certain feeling, it's, it's the Holy Spirit shaking me awake and telling me to listen up. And I knew it was him. So my pastor kept on preaching, but didn't really get into any detail or elaborate on the phrase. So that's what I set out to do. Uh, define it, then teach on it or, or talk about it. And I could feel, and I still do, that it has a prolific meaning to each one of us, especially in the times that we're in. You say, you have to be willing to go with Jesus somewhere that you have never been before to get something that you never had before. Do you understand that? I'll repeat that. You have to be willing to go with Jesus somewhere that you've never been before to get something that you never had before. And I want to look at three different scriptures. One's a little longer than the other. Uh, it's Revelations 3.14, Revelations 3.20-23, 20 and then the John 13.35, and then the John 15.8. We're going to start at Revelation, and, and, and you know this passage. Uh, Revelations 3.14, but, but John writes to the angel of the church in Laodicea, and, and these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the roller of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Revelations 3, 20 to 23. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears laid here what the Spirit says to the churches. And then John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In John 15, 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory 
that you bear fruit, much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, the first passage there in, in Revelation talks about being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Lukewarm is like water that was once hot or cold, but when it, it sits at, at room temperature long enough, it's eventually going to be lukewarm. You know, it's, go, it's going to eventually just conform to its surroundings. Fitting in is often what we Christians strive for. We want a Christianity that's just between me and God. Uh, sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll let others in, but they have to fit a criteria. They must be safe, right? The, the problem is we never get hot enough to be refined by Jesus. So we'll share our faith with some friends and some family, but they must be Christians as well or agree to disagree, I'm okay, you're okay. So let's be friends and, you know, never talk about religion. Sometimes we will let the church in it too, but only if they don't ask for too much of our time. Well, and actually in this brand of Christianity, there is not too much room for God either. Not the one true God. At least we prefer to replace him with the guys that serve us. We used to call these idols. I'm talking about the lukewarm. It's kind of like when you drive on the interstate and all the cars are, you know, passing you by and they're all going over the speed limit. And, you know, you're not supposed to go over the speed limit, but just go ahead and, and get up there and just kind of go with the flow and set your cruise control so that you stay with the crowd. You're not getting blown by. And that's what being lukewarm is. is that's what it's like. And we do that. We all do it. We just kind of go with the crowd, the, the flow of the crowd on that interstate. We'll set the cruise control and be over the speed limit. And we're fine with it because everyone else is going along. And we're sitting until we see that state, the state trooper parked. And suddenly we're, we're, we're very aware of what is wrong and what is right. Well, unfortunately, a lot of times we live our Christianity like that. Very much the same way. But when we read what John wrote... And we read what Jesus had John write to the church and talking about that very thing about being lukewarm. But when we read these other two passages that uh, John wrote about being a disciple, it should wake us up. It should shake us awake. Sort of like seeing that state trooper on the side of the road. You know, a lot of times we, we begin again to live that thin line. Go with the flow. Lukewarm Christianity. But when we read this passage that John wrote that said that Jesus wants to... He wants us to be known by all men. He said again, that should be like the state trooper. So I just want to look at how to stand out, how to get off the cruise control. So when, when Jesus said that everyone will know you are my disciples, that means that we'll be different, not like the rest. We should look different. We should act different. We should be different. We won't fit in. We'll stand out. We won't be going with the flow. We'll be disrupting it. If we are disciples, it means being hot, not covered. It's light in the darkness. That's what Jesus meant when he said, they will know that you are my disciples. Well, how do we do that? How do we stand out? First off, we need to be engaged and not just entertained. You know, we're in a culture that wants to be entertained. We're in a culture that says, please me. You see, we, we don't merely listen to the word. The word says to be a doer of the word. See, Christianity is not a spectator sport. And there's a lot of people that have a religion that's a spectator sport where they come in and they sit down and they want to be entertained. They want to hear good music. They want to hear good preaching. And then they want to go home. 
There's a lot of folks that are like that. They've got a religion and they do it religiously, but there's no relationship. There's no engagement into what needs to be being done. God does not want us to be simply entertained. He wants us to be engaged. He wants us to be engaged. There's a phrase that I know you've all heard many times that says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I know you've all heard that, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people that live their lives with a view that what happens in church stays in church. They don't take it home. You know, Satan doesn't mind us going to church as long as he can keep us thinking what really matters is whether or not you make it to church on Sunday. It's a check the box item. Satan doesn't mind that as long as that's our whole goal. It's just whether or not we're there to check it off. He doesn't mind us having an emotional experience in church. He doesn't mind you seeing or feeling inspired by the service as long as you don't take it with you. There's no problem. Satan doesn't mind you getting emotional. He doesn't mind you having an inspirational moment in church. As long as you walk out the door and leave it there, he's good with that. Go ahead. Go back and do it again next week because we're not making any headway when we do that. We're just being entertained. And Jesus quoted Isaiah when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So it's a matter of the heart. If we're going to be the disciple that he wants us to be, our heart has to be in the right place. And the proof, he said, that we're Christians is that we live our lives. Our lives have been changed. And if our lives have been changed, then we're doing as Christians. We're living and doing. What what price, what, what would you do? We have to move. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. We've got to move from being church members to being disciples for Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of folks that don't have a clue what that means. But that's what we have to do. That's what we have to strive to do. We have to lead others to do that. You know, during World War II, King Jordan of England worked in a factory run, and he did so because he wanted to get involved in a physical way and a cause that he needed, that he knew needed to succeed. So he not only spoke words of encouragement, to his subjects, but he got involved in a very tangible way. We're now seeing that happen and unfold right in front of our eyes all around the world. Right now with the Ukraine president fighting on the front lines. He not only said what he believed to be important during the war effort, he did something about it. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5.3 when he said, these people give me lips, uh, lip service, but their hearts are far from me. We need to be engaged which means we need to be active in what's going on. It's not coming to be entertained, but coming to be a part of worship, being a part of what's going on, being engaged in ministry, being actively seeking opportunities to share the gospel. That is where the discipleship comes. And that's what Jesus said. They will know this. They're gonna know that you are one of my disciples because you love one another. And people who really love each other, they enjoy being together. And they want to do for each other. They don't want to be done for. They don't want someone just to do it for them all the time. They want to be doing things for that person that they love. And if we love each other as disciples, then we want to be ministering to each other. And people who look at us should say, there's something different. There, there's something different. Those people have something different. We need to be engaged and not just entertained. 
The next thing he said was about being loved, about loving each other. That's number two, being loving and not lazy. He said loving will set us apart. So as Christians, love is an action word in this passage, and it implies that we're doing something. We're doing something. We're loving. When he says you will love each other, it's an action word. If we really love one another, we'll be serving one another. And that looks totally different than the world outside because the world we live in, again, wants to be served. But if we really love each other as Christians, as disciples, then we are wanting to serve and not be served. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. I didn't come for people to tell me how good I am. I came to serve you. That's what he's telling his disciples. I came to serve, not to be served. Therefore, as disciples, we need to have the heart and the mind that we want to serve and not be served. We want to be active. We want to be his hands and feet. But unfortunately, we live in a unique world. But we need to be living in a in Christianity. Now, Romans 1.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You know what he's saying, right? We can't see God physically. No one ever has. But if we act like a Christian is supposed to act, if we are the church the way it's supposed to be, if we love each other and act like Christians, then the world will see God through us. And that's the only way they're going to see God is through us. You know, I've been told that before, and I'm sure you've heard before, but we may be the only Jesus someone has ever had the chance to see or ever has the chance to see. And I sure hope what they see encourages them to follow him. No one has ever seen God, but they believe we love one another. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And if we're not careful, though, we get lazy and we start taking care of who? ourselves but we're commanded the opposite of that we're commanded to be loving each other which means to be serving each other and not just serving those people who love us back that's another key we're not just to be serving those people that we find lovely we're not loving those people that we find lovely and who you know reciprocate our love people love others but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves Their love of others is is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, right? Family, friends, other people they know and connect with. There's little love left over for those who cannot love them back. You know, their love is highly conditional and and very selective, and it generally comes with strings attached. That's from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, quoting Brett Kona. You know, does our love come with strength attached? Is it conditional or is it unconditional? Like I say, the love that Jesus was speaking of when he said that you are my disciples and people will know because you love one another. Actually, that was a a C.S. Lewis that said this. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love him. And if you injured someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you have, if you do have a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. That's serious. And what he's saying there is, 
isn't that the same thing Jesus was saying? You know what? You're not going to always feel like loving each other. It doesn't matter. It's not about feeling. It's about action. That's an action. One another. People will see me. They'll realize you're my disciple. If you love each other unconditionally, whether you feel like loving someone or not, someone just made me feel and hard love and abrasive and, not, and maybe not be fun or be around and someone you just assume the void. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, love one another and they'll know you're mine, a true Christian. They'll know you're my disciples because you love us. We have to love and not be lazy. It's lazy. The only people we love are those who are going to get something back from the, for, or, or those who we're comfortable with. But it's action. It's doing what God wants us to do. When we love the people who are unloving, when we love those people who are unfair to us, when we love those people who look different than us and act different than us, when we love the folks that are just very unloved or unlovable, we need to love and not be lazy. And then thirdly, we need to be fruitful and not faithless. Jesus said that we would bring glory to the Father by bearing fruit. That's what he said. If we want to bring Lord to God, we bear fruit. And John said that the secret to this is staying grafted to the vine. John 15, 5 states, I'm the vineyard branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So every Christian will bear spiritual uh, proof somewhere, sometime, somehow. Otherwise, that person is not a believer. Every born-again individual will be fruitful. Not to be fruitful is to be faithless or without faith, and therefore without salvation. That you know, That's some pretty strong words right there. If you're not bearing fruit at some point, somehow, then you may not have a relationship. That's what he's saying. We all have room in our lives. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. If the shoe fits, kick it off today. But if we're truly one of his, if our lives have truly been changed, if he has entered into our lives and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, then we will bear fruit. We will bear good fruit. So what does that mean to bear fruit? Well, first... It's to bear the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians when it says the truth of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So to bear fruit is to show the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. God wants us to become more and more like Jesus every day. We need to nurture these characteristics of the fruits of the Spirit in our lives so we can reflect them in the others. So we need to actively seek to have this fruit of love, joy, peace, patience. I don't like having to say that word patience because I'm not good at that one. But patience is just a kind of self-control, he said. He gets these things. There's no law. These are good things. And we're going to cultivate those. We have a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. We can put down our roots into the soil of, of the landfill of fleshly pursuits in the world, or we can put our roots down into the cool and refreshing mountain stream of God and his goodness and his grace and the person of Jesus Christ. We have to understand that the root bears the fruit. The root 
bears the fruit. The fruit of the Christian is the outward evidence of the inward motivation. Let me repeat that. The fruit of the Christian is the outward evidence of the inward motivation. He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And we need to remain grafted into the vine in order to produce good fruit. That's one thing that bearing fruit means. Secondly, we're to bear the fruit of the harvest. And that means making new disciples. That means sharing our faith, right? Reaching out to people and bringing them into relationship with Jesus. He said to his disciples, go and make more disciples. That's what he said. Go and make more disciples. There was a... um, a young salesman, he was disappointed about uh, losing a big sale and he talked with his sales manager and just just grieved the fact that he lost it. And he said, you know, I, I guess it just proves you can, you know, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the manager replied, son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. And so it is with us, with evangelism, with the fruit of the harvest. Our lives should be so filled with Jesus that it creates a thirst in other people. They are to thirst for what we have. You know, it's not my job or your job to make them make a decision. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We can't. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He convicts. Our job is to make them thirsty, to lead them to the place where they thirst for him. And the best way to do that is through our life, the way we live our lives, and just the reflection that we have of Christ in our lives. We need to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We need to bear the fruit of the harvest, and and then we should bear the fruit of the ministry and service. God wants us to discover and develop our gifts and then use them to bless others. That goes back to loving one another. Do you want to stand out? Then step down and be a servant is, is what Jesus commanded. That's what stands out. The person is willing that's willing to serve. Mark 10, 45, this is a um, a New Living Translation, but Jesus said, for even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for me. So the real question is, do you want to stand out? Do you want to look different or you just want to put it on cruise control and blend in with everyone else? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. That's the question that God is asking us. Do you want to look different? Do you want to glorify me? Do you want to lead others to me through your life? Or do you just want to look like everyone else and put you know, put it on the preachers to do what you're called to do by Jesus? When we choose, because yes, it's a choice by free will to place our lives on and, and, and you know our Christianity on cruise control, we're ignoring the very word of God. The Bible speaks to this very subject very heavily. I just want to share a few verses from the Bible. So you're taking God's word for it and not mine. Don't don't ever take another person's word for it. It includes your pastor. I don't care who they are. Take God's word for it. So here's God's word. Proverbs 132. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroy them. Revelations 3, 15 to 16, hot nor cold. With that you were either hot nor cold, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and get nothing and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. 
Zephaniah 1.12. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. 2 Kings 19.28. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Wow. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And we're not talking about money. Revelations 2.4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. How quickly we can go from on fire for Jesus to lukewarm to cold or just stay lukewarm just as bad. Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've got we've to get out there. Action. Luke 21.34, but watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day it come upon you like a trap. We're not here forever, guys. We've got a very limited time. 1 Samuel 11, 14 to 15, and, and Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and they were made, uh, there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed, uh, sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. They were faithful. Hebrews 6, 4, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And lastly, Proverbs 18, 9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. So when we're slack we're helping the enemy. And I'll just throw one more in there. I've got hundreds in front of me that have to do with this subject and ask that you go into your Bibles and read more. Don't just stop here, but Matthew seven twenty six, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And you know that pro- proverb. These aren't just words. These are rules to live by, guys. So in closing, you know, my final statement is this. When you are saved from this world and become born again, you no longer live for yourself or for this world. You're to love God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul. You're to love your neighbor as yourself and and, and live a life that's worth living, not for you, for Jesus. You can't do that while you're on cruise control. The world is is on cruise control while the world is at enmity with God and God is at enmity with the world. Be different. Be like Christ. So my final question to you is this. Are you living life for Jesus by your actions or are you in that same car you've always been in with the cruise control on? If so, when will you take it off cruise control and start living according to how God commanded you and I and us to live as Christians. 
So before we end uh, today's show, I just wanted to thank you all again for tuning in, and I hope you were touched by today's message in Scripture. If you'd like to reach out to me, please call me directly at 407-493-3208. You can email me at ben, ben at shaken-awake.com or check out the show at shaken-awake.com. So next week, tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able as we discuss... Does an atheist have greater belief and faith than you? Next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you all for joining. And until next time and next week, take great great care of yourself and each other. And God bless you all. 